tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap. Well, I reckon we're going to ramble till hell freezes over. introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Hello, Tapsters. Welcome to another episode slash edition of This Is Vinyl Tap, your podcast where all the podcasts go to 11. We are uh, broadcasting from the Vinegaroon Saloon in... North slash North Central slash North Austin, and I am Tony Slagle, your host for this evening. As always, I'm joined by our other host, Doug Cooper. Hello, Tapsters. And as always, joined by our very humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Good evening, everyone out in podcast land. Um, tonight we're going to be talking about a cornerstone of the outlaw country movement, 1973's Honky Tonk Heroes by Waylon Jennings. Um, before we do that, though, I just I would like to take a moment to thank everybody who's been listening uh, recently. We we're on a we're on a streak right now, and I we really all three of us really appreciate uh, the fact that you're listening. For those of you who are passing the word on, we appreciate that as well. And for those of you who are just downloading it and not listening, that, that helps our numbers quite a bit. So thank you too. But, uh, you probably didn't hear that. We're, uh, we've been going at this for about a year. We're about to break 2000 downloads for, uh, from the month for our first time, which is a big deal to us. Yeah. Uh, this humble little podcast from, you know, we never talked about numbers before Tony and uh, it allowed me to lie a, a lot about how popular we are. Um, Jam, you might want to. Uh, yeah, we might need to edit, edit that. that. But add a zero to two thousand. But yeah, we've gone from uh, our week numbers are outpacing our month numbers from uh, about six months ago. Yeah. So and so we really appreciate that. We also just to real quick mention we've got a website now where we've got all sorts of content we're trying to put on there for the podcast. Not all of the episodes have it, but they will at some point. The newer ones do. They uh, deal with things we've been talking about on the episode, things we can't, you know, necessarily uh, touch on a whole lot um, while we're talking about them. But you can go back and 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 relive the experience and add to it. So yeah. appreciate everybody visiting the tappingvinyl.com website as well. Also, uh, I want to thank Elizabeth Archer, who sent us cookies this week. Oh. She heard last week's uh, podcast. 
and said, it sounds like JM needs to have something to eat before the podcast. <laughs> so she sent us some cookies. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank That's you, true. Elizabeth. I, I, although, I, and I know I want to get into the album, but I do think we also, uh, Doug, should do a shout out um, to our friend in the UK, David Corrigan, who wrote a really, really great uh, comment about how he, how much he enjoys what we're doing and how, how much it's uh, kind of helped him. Uh, he's been missing going to the pub and talking to people about music, and he finds comfort in what we do. So we he's appreciate it. He's in a, a COVID shutdown and yeah. wouldn't allow. And I didn't know they had COVID in other countries. That was interesting. <laughs> I thought that was just our thing. No. No, it was a nice comment, and uh, it made me wish I had a workshop, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so thanks for bearing with us while we deal a little bit with that. We just uh, really appreciate everybody listening. So as I mentioned, we're talking about uh, Honky Tonk Heroes, which is a 1973 album by Waylon Jennings. Uh, even though this is a Waylon Jennings album, we, uh, we can't, we've got to talk briefly about Billy Joe Shaver. We'll get to that, but, um, this is one of those things we've been there before, right? Yeah. Where we've, we've got, all been there we've before. got the artist and the person who's their muse coming up behind them. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, as we always, we ask the person who picked this album, why they picked this album. This is a JM pick, uh, JM. Why did you pick Honky Tonk Heroes? By <laughs> yeah, it, it might surprise you. I went from XTC and John Cale to uh, Honky Tonk Heroes by Waylon Jennings. Um, there's okay. I'm going to start off with uh, the nostalgia part of this. Um, I do have a lot of nostalgia for this album. Honky Tonk Heroes, the song appeared on this album called The Outlaws, which was a very popular album. I didn't realize it was a popular album. I. I Did your dad have this album? My, that album. My dad had this album. He had Everybody's the, dad had that. <laughs> wanted the outlaws. Wanted the outlaws. And uh, I just thought it was great. A great album. Uh, he listened to it. Uh, we lived out in West Texas, so almost everywhere we had to drive, we you know, was was always a long drive. So we had that eight track player. For those of you who uh, don't know what an eight track player is. First, first medium in which you could listen to an album in do your car. They even know what a radio is. That's yeah. <laughs> um, do you want? To, yeah. So, who was on this Wanted at the Outlaws album? Jam? Okay, so there was uh, Waylon Jennings, of course. His wife, Jesse Coulter, who is a fine, fine songwriter in her own right. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> <laughs> who is uh, not easy on the eyes as well? Um, Ladies and gentlemen, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, only know about her talents yeah <laughs> not that talent <clears throat> and then a uh another up-and-coming well not up a well-established singer-songwriter but who's kind of getting into the outlaw movement willie nelson and then the guy that kind of i think cannot be um unheralded in this he, tom paul glazier he was he was the producer that sort of started the outlaw country music uh phenomenon with t for texas t for tennessee t for texas t for tennessee tom paul glazier had this studio called hillbilly central uh, but anyway, bottom line, I just love that album. It was a, a one of my favorite things to listen to. And uh, 
a few years later, I was in high school and a buddy of mine uh, lent me some some albums or I, I, he had one of those things where he had an older brother and his older brother just had this huge record collection. And I remember going through it. His brother was away at college and I got to uh, just pick some albums out. And I think I picked out The Wall. I think I picked out some Peter Frampton. I picked out some Queen. And, and one of the albums that was in there was Honky Tonk Heroes. And I remember loving that song. So I took that album out, went home, listened to the whole album and just fell in love with it, made a cassette of it. To this day, I just I would just listen to that. And uh, it served me very well because I played in a band um, eventually where knowing that album was kind of a litmus test. You had to know that album in order to to be in this band. So I auditioned as a bass player and they just started throwing out songs from this and from this album and luckily i knew knew them them. i knew them uh Um, well and you know we'll talk much to doug's dismay about how bass heavy all of this stuff (laughs) is tonight and that's yeah that's (laughs) one of the things i'm gonna and and the last thing i'm gonna say funny you should mention that um i think it's just a great country album um but i think it's got some funk to it which one though uh, wanted the outlaws or the one tonight the, the one tonight the the yeah. uh hunky tonk heroes i think that this album just has some funk to it uh the drums are real crisp and high in the mix and uh you know the bass hits that standard one five that you hear in, in country music but uh and what you know is pretty ubiquitous in country music especially at this time um but it's just locked in with those drums well and it's so far up in the mix in yeah. a way that most country music exactly. bases is not yeah um I, Wait, you talk about the it's almost like this album is a reaction uh all well, the things that he hated about what nashville was doing to <laughs> yeah, his music I, he undid in one album I, and he maybe he overreacted but i love this overreaction. Yeah, I do too. There's there's a couple of things I want to say that I, I, I think are worth mentioning about the Outlaws album, one of the Outlaws. One, the reason why it's worth mentioning is that it, um, regardless of whether it was a cash grab <laughs> by throwing all these people on it, it's the first country album to go get certified platinum. The first. Waylon said, I, I didn't even know there was a platinum. Yeah. <laughs> it hit number one. It hit number 10 on the pop charts, that album. I mean, that was a crossover monster. Yeah. The other thing I want to say about Tom, Ball, Tom Paul Glaser is I just think it's funny that he's on an album called One of the Outlaws and that he was instrumental in this whole 70s outlaw movement. When if you go back and listen to our Birds episode, you'll hear that he was one of the guys jumping up and down on the side of the stage when the birds played the Opry and decided to change the tune they were playing. <laughs> Not a very outlaw attitude, yeah, but, yeah. you know, it's just... It, it, it became profitable at some point. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Anyway. Um, yeah, and on that album, he does a, a Shel Silverstein song that I think is... Um, Tom Paul Glazer does. He does um, put another log on the fire. Put another log on the fire. Cook me up some bacon and some beans And go out to the car and change the tire Wash my socks and sew my old blue jeans Come on, baby, you can feel Which, I, I, for all the ladies out there, I find it highly offensive. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, it was actually done on a, on a Muppet show. 
The first time I ever heard it was on the I can't Muppet Show. That. that wouldn't happen now. <laughs> well, the Muppet Show wasn't exactly a, a kiddie show. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So I, I also just think it's worth mentioning that this is one of those albums that I think all three of us would have picked at some point. I think you. I think yep. Doug. I was, I was just about to say I. I owe Jay. Yeah, another, but I, I mean, I would have. Thank you. I would have picked it too. I don't think I'm quite as. Uh, head over heels with this as you guys are. I mean, I like this album a lot. But well, this is my favorite country music album of all time. I know. With, without, well, I think it's, that, I need to rephrase that. This is my favorite country music album of all time that isn't Bob Wills. Uh, <laughs> I have Bob Wills in a whole separate category, so yeah. it didn't even occur to me that he would be country music. Well, I mean, Doug, you kind of talked on, spoke about this before. It's like, this is what I thought country music was. You know, I, 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 I trap. Well, JM and I are of the age and we're from Texas. So when we were growing up, um, the outlaw label did not make much sense to us because the kind of music they were playing was everything we ever heard. So we didn't have any contact with what they were rebelling against. Yeah. Can we, I don't know if this is the right time to talk about this, but I've got a slight bone of contention with the whole outlaw thing. Is this a good time to talk about that? Or sure. you want to do it later? Yeah, let's not. All right. I mean, you're hosting, you're the one that has to I, make choices like that, Tony. You're right. Um, so, you know, there's two parts to that outlaw narrative. The first part of it is that uh, these guys wanted freedom to do what they wanted to do, and Nashville was constraining, and mm-hmm. I understand that there's some truth to that. The second part of the narrative is that Nashville didn't know what to do with these guys. I think that's a little silly. If you look at Waylon's discography prior to this album, he was knocking it out of the park. He had top 10 album. I mean, he was making money off of that. Now, I'm not arguing about whether or not he didn't have the freedom to do what he did, because there's legitimacy to that. But this whole narrative that Nashville didn't know what to do with these guys is really kind of a silly thing to do. And it's been added on to the end of this that in a way yeah. that I think is not really fair to those guys that were making these records that were huge hits. Well, there's, there's some things to consider. Um, number one is, uh, the outlaw movement is centered in Austin, Texas, and the Nashville movement is centered in Nashville. So number one, we're right and they're wrong just because of that. Okay. Number, I, number two, um, cosmopolitan. Uh, one of the one of the things I heard one of them say over and over again in interview, interviews while I was doing uh, research for this is he would put down these tracks and when they'd come back, he he wouldn't recognize them. Uh, with he said they got horns all over everything, they got strings all over everything. Yeah. So I think there was some frustration no, I, about production, uh, but it's what you said about whether or not he could make money um yeah he had a he had a bunch of hits and you know he had the kind of voice that you can that's that's one thing i'm gonna come back to tonight is this voice voice of his it's he's the most obvious guy for a record contract that i can think of and let me let me let me finish my thought because this is where it really comes down to it's my own my own little bone to pick about the whole outside nashville thing because my favorite country artist ever is buck owens and that guy was doing this a decade before this whole quote-unquote outlaw movement using his own musicians giving nashville the finger all of that stuff 
And uh, it's unfortunate that he decided to sell out and do Hee Haw because I think that has kind of colored his his image in the gr- yeah. greater public. Well, you're right, though, and um, I guess he's the king of Bakersfield sound. Yeah. But, you know, Nashville made this possible, just like those folk music people we talked about, New because they had, they had boundaries set up that this is real country. This is what no, I got This is what's and, proper. But... Um, Rock and roll never had that, so you couldn't have you couldn't really do a rock and roll outlaw scene because the whole thing, I guess the punk, punk thing was yeah. out, but everything was already outlaw. Well, and and, and the, I really am not trying to to make this like I don't I mean I just it's a bone it's a slight bone I have with this. I I yeah. understand exactly what it's this because you're about. a guy you you're you're in love with the California guy, but and, the, and we're in love with Texans. I understand that totally. But there were two. But I mean, Chet Atkins had a hold on a lot of the guys that were coming out of Texas. He had a hold on uh, Willie Nelson. He had Waylon. Um, just a lot of the people that uh, were, he I wouldn't, won't say sullied because he, he, he recognized talent and he was a, you know, a hell of a guitar player himself, but the stuff that he would do, everything started sounding like a Chet Atkins album. No, it did. And, and Chet Atkins, Wayland has said this in interviews that he had kind of a love hate relationship with the guy. Cause the guy would occasionally come out of left field and give him say, Hey, I want you to do the song and be like, Oh, this is great. And he would do it case in point on his third album. He recorded a really bizarre version of Norwegian wood, yeah. which is just uh, out there. <laughs> said a girl or should I say she once had me she showed me her room isn't it good Norwegian wood um he did bridge over troubled water yeah, with uh, Jesse Coulter I, I, th- I want to say the oh. one I want to say the worst thing about uh the country politan stuff Wayland stuff is what they did to his vocals that's the worst thing because they're they they're, him. they're watered down. They're yeah. mellow. He's like a crooner, which is not what Waylon is. Nope. And no. um and that's the and 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 he started realizing that when the seventies came around, um, you know, and and really making songs, they were still steeped in that kind of bizarre background thing that Nashville wanted to do. But his vocals changed to a yeah. point where it's like, oh, this is the Waylon Jennings we're going to know and love, right? Yeah. yeah. So because of uh. Tony's lack of discipline. We are <laughs> we are far far ahead uh, in the middle of the um, the breakaway from Nashville. Yeah, because uh, there's a whole lot of Waylon Jennings. We got a cool start, story that starts about when Waylon's 12 years old. Yeah, he was a uh, started playing guitar. I guess when he was like eight, his yeah. mom bought him a Harmony guitar. Even remembers the uh, model number and. About twelve years old, he starts. He additions to sing for. Where, uh, where is he? He Little, is in Littleville, Texas. Texas. In in uh, in that part of Texas, you have these <laughs> hub cities. Okay, yeah. so Lubbock in that part of Texas is a, a big city. city. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's where you go if you live in Littlefield. Yeah. You go there for your Walmart. Yeah, or uh, whatever. I guess it was Gibson's back then. But Probably. Um, my case, I go play baseball there. Yeah. So. Uh, Littlefield is a tiny cotton, it's a cotton-picking town, um, and it's just out there in the dirt on the South Plains, 
right by Lubbock, and uh, the people who drive through there are usually on their way to go skiing in Colorado, and they're <laughs> asking themselves, how do people live here? Yeah. And uh, that's where Waylon grew up. Uh, uh, won some sort of radio contest, singing guitar and playing, and 12 years old, he he gets kind of a, a gig plan, but he asks one of the guys that actually saw him to form a band with him and play bass. And I mean, he's playing with a guy that's, I guess, eight, 10 years older than he is. And he forms a band called, uh, the Texas Longhorns. And they become kind of big in that area. This is not the same as the, not the, not the, uh, very horns who are so good at losing every damn football game <laughs> in the world this year. So then, uh, so he kind of has this weird relationship with radio stations and being in bands. He plays and in various bands on radio stations, but then he also becomes a DJ for those radio stations. Uh, that- wasn't that unusual back then for a lot I think of BB guys. King did that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how you made your money. Um, Jay and, Giles, you got, yeah. and, and it was also free advertising. If yeah. you were playing someplace, you were and, playing. And music. we're talking about a excellent broadcasting voice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't but, know. Uh, what he it was sounding like at 12, but. Yeah, I mean, he was DJing. Did he start DJing at 12 or 14? 14. Yeah, 14. And <laughs> did it off and on. Uh, my favorite story is about he was he loved Little Richard, and he would play yeah. little, he'd play Little Richard all the time, and, the, and his manager, manager, the radio station manager, hated it, and he would instead of calling him, he'd drive to the station and berate him. Yeah, and then one day he played two Little Richard songs in a row, and he got fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, that reminds me, we're, we're talking about um, West Texas and uh, the northern part of West Texas, and his name is Waylon Waylon, and it was uh, originally. It was originally Wayland, uh, and a preacher came and said it was so nice that his mother named him after Wayland Baptist University, which is in Plainview, Texas, um, <laughs> which she immediately changed the way he spelled his name after that. Um, to I've always, I always wondered if there was some sort of connection because the two are yeah. so close together. I'm glad to get that resolved. Well, he And he never liked that name. Can you believe that? He did not like the name Waylon Jennings. Well, it sounds like a name somebody would make up. I know. A I country thought it, music artist. I think does. when he was playing with Buddy Holly, he went by a different stage name because he didn't like his name so much. But uh, you jumped yeah. ahead now. Yeah, we jumped get ahead. Yeah, get us there, JM. So he's uh, working in these uh, at these radio stations, playing in bands and in these uh, these radio stations, and he's. One of the radio stations he's working in is in is in Lubbock, Texas, and uh, oh, he moves there. Yeah, so he moves there. I think he's is he married at the time. We got married when he was eighteen. Yeah, so he's married at the time. Buddy Holly comes in and I think uh, does a show at at the radio station and takes a shine to, to like two them. peas in a pod. Yeah, they, two peas in, and they they get to know each other. Yeah. through that and so buddy holly says you know i'll help you make a record so he puts a, a band together for Waylon, and he does some recording but he arranged for a session with uh norman petty norman in, petty in uh, clovis, clovis new, new mexico, mexico which is became a famous that's where that's where buddy holly that's where buddy holly was recording and, uh, yeah and it's 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 uh 
it's a very, very uh, highly regarded uh, studio. And yeah. I don't know if you've been to Clovis, New Mexico. Not a whole I've lot been there. to Clovis. I can't, <laughs> I've been to Clovis. can't believe I've been that happened can... in, in Clovis. And um, but it's it's one of these stories where if, if he went to Nashville, they they, wouldn't... they polluted his sound. So he was happy yeah. to make those records in Clovis. I'm gonna tell you how it's gonna be. can't do a buddy a buddy holly album because he didn't live long enough to get to the part where they were making albums yeah. but um i'm just going to tell you right now that uh, i hold him in as high regard as i do uh any any of the beatles yeah. and much higher than elvis i think the beatles hold um, buddy holly in about they as high do. regard as they and can the, the fact that he did all of that in such a short time Died he's he's one of the Anyway, I'm, I better shut when, up. When uh, when I was uh, poking around on the interwebs for this doing stuff, I found I don't know if you guys saw that there's a this pretty remarkable recording of Waylon in '55 when he's 18 singing on the radio station. I don't yeah. know I don't know if it was it's KZZN. I don't know if he's a just disc jockey for that radio station or not, mm. but it's a Little Richard song, huh. which the guy loved. Yeah. Um, so we'll. It's, so anyway, we, we got to this. This is the part we it's kind of legend now. But he Waylon started uh, actually recording some with Buddy Holly. He's actually on the hand claps on one of the last recorded Buddy Holly songs, which Tony should like. <laughs> and, I love everything Buddy Holly did. Yeah, and you love everything hand claps. I do like the hand claps. Yeah. So Buddy Holly at this time was distancing, you know, uh, trying to do a new sound, uh, was actually having much, having string sections with them. Well, he was having issues with the crickets, too. They yeah, were kind so of he was going not, their own way. Right. So the crickets were kind of uh, out of the picture. So Buddy Holly was about to go out on tour. He needed a bass player. And who does he, Billy, uh, Waylon Jennings, known as a guitar player, but could also play some bass, decides that he'll join well, Buddy Holly the, on the tour. The story is Buddy shows up, asks him if he wants to new, go to New York, and Waylon's yeah. like, oh, sure, and he throws a bass at him and says, you've got two weeks to learn how to play this. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, it was the bass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Waylon Wait, 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 said something like, well, 10 days after I've been working on it, I figured out that the four strings were yeah. the same as the top four in a guitar. <laughs> yeah, and he said that, and he said it actually screwed him up because he'd been learning it by he, by ear, and then when he realized that, he had to kind of reassess what he knew about it. He didn't know the they were the top They're just what a dick, different, different octave, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, it's pretty funny, but uh, yeah, so he goes on tour as his bass player. There's a whole movie about it. There's books written about it. There's everything that happens after that. So they go on tour. They're What's, out. and the tour is called? It's called the Winter Dance Party. Yeah, the Winter yeah, Dance Party. Yeah, and it's party. Uh, the it's Big a Bopper. Good lineup. It would have been a great show. Yeah, the Big Bopper, Buddy Holly, uh, Richie Dion, and Richie Valens. Yeah, that yeah. would have been. I would have. I would have loved that show. And uh, you know, when you talk about how close those guys were, there's this incredible 
there's these two incredible pictures of them. There's probably more out there, but the two famous ones of them at uh, at a photo booth in, in um, Grand Central Station. Yeah. Uh, and it's Waylon. He's got right. sunglasses on, and yeah. Buddy Holly's sitting there. And one of them, Buddy Holly's flipping him off. Yeah. Um, but it's such you can see there's some true, genuine affection these guys had for each other. Yeah. You when know. you hear Waylon talk about him, he's he always glows, and he says that uh, Buddy Holly was the most joyful person that uh, he ever knew. And uh, it's hard to it's hard to listen to his music and not suspect that. Yeah. Well, and then so the the tragedy happens, the the the, the plane crashes. But the story that is not apocryphal that I always thought was, but um, was Buddy awesome. Holly was sick of being on the plane or sick of being on this tour bus that was just cold as hell. Yeah, it was cold. And what I had heard was Richie Valens and, and the Big Bopper had actually developed either the flu or cold from this bus as well. They were both big, sick the as big bopper yeah, the was big, the big, big Bopper, bopper was had, sick. Yeah. So, yeah, Richie Valens got on because he, he won a coin flip, and Waylon Jennings gave up his seat to the Big Bopper because the Big Bopper was, was sick. And the last... Yeah, there this, was a, is, this there, is the saddest thing. This is the thing. saddest thing. Um, so the last conversation that uh, Waylon Jennings and Buddy Holly had was Waylon was about to, he'd get, just given up his seat, and Buddy Holly said to, uh, uh, sarcastically said, yeah, I hope you don't uh, freeze to death on the bus. No, he says, I hope you do. Yeah, because oh, they're, sit, they're sitting in the back, the back right. of the show eating hot dogs, and they're joshing each other, and he's yeah. like, what, are you afraid to fly? Yeah. It's like, no, I'm trying to be nice. And he says... <laughs> I hope I hope you free. I hope your bus freezes up again. And then Waylon says to him, uh, "Yeah, because some guy just lost toes." Um, so Waylon says to him, "Well, I hope your plane crashes." Yeah, and and he carried that around for. I mean, I don't well, know he, if he ever let go of it. He says well, it was a reason. Did why we he, tell everybody that the plane crashed? Well, yeah, I guess. That, well, we're assuming people know that, right? <laughs> Probably, right? Yeah, there's over a whole at, song written about over, it. Yeah, the, the day, day the music, music died. died yeah. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, over in Iowa cornfield, I guess, a plane crashed and killed all three of them. Yeah, the full big throttle. It was Richie going. Yeah. yeah, I guess they didn't know they were going uh, down, and they thought they were going sideways. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the other sort of horrible part of that story, not that that's not horrible enough, is that uh, the the um, he had to continue playing shows um, at half the price <laughs> because yeah they would show up. I think there was a story where they showed up and uh, maybe the night the night after they were playing a show and the and the promoter says uh, we're not going to pay you because Richie Valens the Big Bopper and Body Holly didn't show up and they had just died on a plane crash and Waylon says if you don't give me my money I'm going to rip this place apart. <laughs> And so he ends up getting paid, but he had to finish the tour, and he missed the funeral because of it. I mean, I, I just it's, well, they said they were going to pay for him to fly, fly and they it. didn't. Yeah, I mean, the music industry back in the at that point was just the most exploitive. Not that it isn't now, but just horribly exploitive. Well, um, at least everybody can bypass them now. Yeah, and so uh, you know, they basically held these guys hostage um, and had them go out and finish the tour. Uh, after a horrible tragedy, and uh, yeah. it's just it's so sad. The whole thing's then, so sad. Of course, Waylon carries carried a lot of guilt for a long time until somebody said, "Well, why don't you just bring Buddy back?" And Waylon goes, "What? I can't do that." And he goes, "That's right. You can't make him come back, and nothing you said made him die." So. Quit worrying about it. Yeah, he had that weird Southern superstition about the fact that he had. 
what he had said had some sort of impact on what had happened, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that was a very liberating thing for him to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing to know about this album is Waylon had just kind of freed himself um, from the constraints of, uh, even though he was still on RCA Records, he had kind of constra- uh, freed himself from the constraints that were being put on him. He got had creative control of his of his albums. Which well, he, he went through a really bad bout with um, hepatitis. Yeah, he was yeah. in the hospital. And that's when he got his beard. And he got a new uh, manager. manager, and that, um, and <laughs> yeah, apparently his manager was worth the money. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, know the, the money. you know the story about how he got the extra dough on his contract, right? So that he's sitting there talking across the table with these RCA guys. It's him and his manager and these RCA guys, and uh, they they hit a stalemate over twenty five grand. Yeah, and Waylon just gets up and leaves the room. And he's coming out of the bathroom, and his manager sees him and says, "That was genius, man! You just got an extra twenty-five. And Whale's like, "I just had to go take a leak. <laughs> <laughs> he got up to go to the bathroom, and they, and they thought he was you walking out. That make fun yeah. of uh, old men that go to the bathroom. All the time. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe there's a lesson for you in that. So another thing that happened is that they, RCA was really trying to hold on to the the artists that they had because um, Willie had just left, and he went to Atlantic. And um, knocked it out of the park. Knocked it out of the park with <laughs> I that. I think we've already talked about we that did. one, didn't we? Yeah. Well, that, ladies and gentlemen. Same year, by the way. Uh, yeah, that's right. That was a redheaded stranger, which was another uh, album that everybody's dad had in Texas <laughs> and that you had to listen to all the time. Um, again, it's produced by Tom Paul Glazier. It's got a lot of Tom Paul's band members on it. It's got some members of Waylon's touring band on it who he actually would prefer to have had in the studio but chet atkins and i can't remember who the other guy is randy something white wouldn't allow him to to have his his own band in there so he was pretty fired up about getting to have that something about this album appeals to me like have you ever seen that movie jeremiah johnson well of course i'm not a communist (laughs) to me this album reminds me of that that movie quite a bit or that this it seems like it's like the jeremiah johnson of is it because redford has a beard <laughs> part of it i don't know is that it's why? That. uh it's it's it just starts off when when, when uh, robert redford gets off that um that boat that makeshift boat and he's clean shaven and everything and then by the end of the movie yeah he's got a big old he's got a big beard and he's escaping everything to me this whole album is about escaping and the 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 story behind the album seems to be about escaping. So whenever I just think about this album, I think about Jeremiah Johnson. Well, if before we start talking about the songs, and I know we've tread this material before with our Billy Joe Shaver episode, and everybody can go back and listen to that. We encourage repeat. Listenings. That was number two, I believe. It was the second because podcast every, when we, did. we started this podcast. Mm-hmm. Everybody in Texas is dying, <laughs> so we had to um, honor but, them. But I do think it's worth just mentioning uh, how, uh, A, we've tread this before because of Billy Joe Shaver, but also, B, this is the third album we're talking about where you're dealing with a songwriter, 
a yep. main songwriter. Yeah. I mean, and we talked about prepared. that with... A voice uh, and a songwriter. Yeah, we did it with Little Steven and... and uh And... Um, Meatloaf. Well, the Little Steven and... Uh, Southside. Oh, Southside. Southside Johnny and then the Meatloaf and... and uh, what's Jim Steinman. Jim Steinman. So, uh, I didn't mean to say what's his name, Jim Steinman. I apologize. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so it's the same sort of find, finding your muse thing. And the story behind this, again, not to retread familiar ground, but it's been a while since we talked about it, is pretty crazy pretty funny uh there's a little bit of different versions depending on who you're dealing with but yeah. billy joe shavers is by far the most entertaining version <laughs> of this story and he may be the most interesting character of all the characters we've talked about yeah um when when uh you see all these guys wearing cowboy hats and talking about being cowboys and saying yep yonder and all that kind of stuff uh they're mostly all uh faking Yep. But Billy Joe Schaefer is the real deal. There yeah. is nothing uh, citified or, or sophisticated about this guy. And uh, he'd yeah. just as soon fight you as um, buy you a drink, pat you on the back. It's yeah. just something else. Mm. The story is uh, Billy Joe's at the uh, um, Strippin' Springs uh, reunion, which is a, what will eventually become Willie's Fourth of July picnic. And Dripping Springs is a town just uh, outside of Austin, yeah, just uh, southwest west, of Austin. West of us. Yeah. And uh, and he and he's there, and he get, finds himself in this trailer with these guys, and they're passing guitar around, and he's playing. According to him, he's playing Willie the Wandering Gypsy and me. And out of the back of this trailer, Waylon bursts like a possess <laughs> and says, "Who wrote that song?" And Billy Joe's like, that's one of mine. He's like, you got any more of those cowboy songs? And he's like, I got a whole stack of them. He's like, I'm going to do a whole album of those. And that was left at that, like a yeah. handshake or whatever. So some time passes. <laughs> Billy Joe hasn't hear, isn't hearing from Waylon. He's like, what the hell is going on here? So he ends up going to Nashville to track him down, and he chases him. For according like six to six months. Yeah, according to Billy Joe, he chases him all over the city. He ends up getting into the studio, into this... Uh, yeah, Hillbilly Central. Hill, Hillbilly Central. And he gets into it because of this Captain Midnight character who was, uh, <laughs> was a disc jockey in, in Nashville, but he was mainly known for being able to supply the musicians with things that helped them make it through the night, <laughs> so to speak. Um, anyway, he gets, he gets Billy Joe into the studio. Billy Joe uh, says he wants to see Waylon. And, uh, and this Captain Midnight guy goes and tells Waylon this. And uh, Waylon gives Captain Midnight a $100 bill and tells him to give it to Billy Joe and send him on his merry little way. <laughs> Billy Joe tells him, you nope. tell Waylon he can shove it up his uh, yeah. lovely place. And the funny thing, the little side on that, Billy Joe's like, I'm pretty sure that Captain Midnight just pocketed the bill. I don't think he told Waylon to go stick it anywhere. <laughs> um Anyway, long story short, Waylon uh, shows, uh, shows up. He's got two... Um, Hell's Angels in tow because he was hanging out with the Hell's Angels. Billy Joe says, "Waylon, uh, he goes, what's your problem?" Waylon's like, or Joe, Billy Joe's like, "I'm not, I'm not leaving. You promised me you were going to record an album of my songs, and where I come from, your word is the truth. And yeah. you're, you're, you know, essentially calls Waylon a liar, and that he's, if he doesn't let let him play a song for him or listen to his songs, Billy Joe threatens to kick his ass. Yeah, with these two Hell's Angels on either side of him. And so, Waylon says, "Okay, I'll give you." Play a song for me, and if, 
if I like it, I'll give you what ten bucks. No, if I like it, he goes. If you I like it, you do another, another one. Do another one. If right. you get to the point where I don't like it, you go away, and we never see each other. And I, my Billy Joe, every story of every time I've ever he, see him say this, he says the exact same thing. He goes, "That seems fair enough." I mean, that's just <laughs> such a great response to that, you know. Yeah, he sings in Willie the Wandering Gypsy and Me. And then he sings Low Down Freedom, or I can't remember what the second one was. But anyway, by the third song... Waylon's freaking out. Waylon's going, yeah, okay, you got a deal. And uh, true to his word, he... Eventually. Eventually, he almost makes an album full of Billy Joe well, Shaver songs. my opinion, he should have made a full album, but that we'll get to that later. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll get to that. Yeah, I think we all are in agreement there. There's... Uh, few times a songwriter could ask for a better person to sing their songs and few times a singer could have picked a better group of songs well, to do. I, yeah. I, I always say this is uh, one of the best songwriters in country music and my favorite singer in country music yeah. come together and uh, you know what they do? They, they put out a record that's a complete reaction to the overproduced stuff in Nashville and mm-hmm. it is a thumping drum and big fat bass and guitars dancing on top and, of that basement and it yeah. is just perfect. And the quite possibly the best steel guitarist at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With Ralph Mooney. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah and uh the, the the other funny just side thing about this is the Billy Joe Shaver isn't satisfied and continues to be a nuisance in the studio while they're recording this to the point where Waylon has to kick him out. He's like, you gotta let me do this, man. He's screaming, what are you doing to my songs? He's like, you gotta let me do this. And they finally finally get him to uh, to leave, I guess, for a little while so they could lay these songs down. But um, yeah. it's kind of funny. Yeah, and one of the things that's, that strikes me about this album is that it, it really does sound like it's just three or four guys in the studio, but there's actually more than... There's a lot there's of people. There's a lot of people it. on this album. Yeah. There's stuff being being done that's uncredited, which is I yeah. think weird. Uh, yeah, as you said, he was able to get at least three of the guys from his touring band playing with him. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of guys. There's still a lot of session guys on this album. You know, yeah. it's not quite it's not quite the Whalers, um, but yeah. it's 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 got part of them. And yeah. it's it's uh, it gives you that Wayland sound that is immediately recognizable i i i don't know anybody else who uh, just that that foot coming down so hard on well, the drum <laughs> he was getting close to it yeah, prior the, to this the, i the mean that before the yeah. record before the lonely ornery or i'm sorry lonesome ornery and me it's been making me lonesome ornery and me that song, outside of the, the, it's still got those Nashville singers on it that kind of yeah. take it a little bit away from it. But that, you know, he's getting close. But yeah, he hits it on this, on yep. this bad this, boy. This yeah. is a landmark album for his sound, and I, I would have to think it influenced everybody down in. Austin, who was yeah. looking for a way to do country music that mm-hmm. that didn't have that shine all well, over. Well, the it. first. I mean, it really is that that bass and the drums are so locked in together. I mean, it's almost like a Motown kind of sound. 
It's a big sound with yeah. a, a few instruments making a really big sound. Do we want to talk about the players a little bit who are on this, or at least hit some of the highlights? Well, you mentioned that probably the big one was, was Ralph Mooney. He was anything that was in country music from this era is going to have Ralph. Well, Mooney and he on was. It. I mean, he was. I think even though he always called himself Win Stewart's, he was always said he was Win Stewart's steel player. I mean, at this point in the game, he's Waylon's steel player. I mean, he's yeah. touring with him. He's been on the studio, all the studio albums. Uh, so but, the, the great Reggie Young, another session guitar player, played all over all sorts of albums from this time, especially RCA albums. Uh, he plays here in, in Austin. Uh, yeah, I mean, you got, well, just real quick, talk about the three Whalers. You got Richie Albright, who was Waylon's drummer. Mm-hmm. We already talked about Ralph Mooney. Yeah, so Jerry Gropp was plays rhythm guitar on this. He's a Whaler. Uh, you get David Briggs on piano, who was Elvis's piano player. Harry, I don't know how to say his last name. Stretzlecki um, wrote the song "Long Tall Texan," oh. which was a Beach Boys song. He and he worked. He was part of the Nashville A team, so he's a session guy that was part of the whole Nashville sound. There's a couple of those guys on here. Yeah. Um, and then Tommy Williams, who does, he's a fiddle player on here. He mm-hmm. was the, he was known as a staff fiddle player for Hee Haw. He <laughs> Is was that the, right? The main Hee Haw, yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot of guys on this, and and uh, I think to go back to what Doug was saying about this being a very minimalist sound, they're not all playing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Oh. All right, should we get into the album, guys? Yep. Yep, let's do it. All right, so we got side one, track one, title track, Honky Tonk Heroes. This is just a song about a Yahoo. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really. Well, this is this is a biographical song, as most of them are. He's talking yeah. about the place where his mom worked as a, uh, I guess, a waitress or bartender, and yeah. he was a little little kid there that played the piano. And uh, I guess as he got older, he learned to do some of the other activities that went on <laughs> at the bar. Um, this is. Uh, just outside of Waco, not there anymore. Uh, Green Gables, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a fantastic tune. It and is. He he, I don't know how he heard this song and figured out all the energy he could put into it. Yeah. Well, well and it starts off so the way it starts off slow, yeah, and then like, those. It's like he's rolling down the river in the inner yeah. tube, and then. Hey, hey. Well, that's comes. that's what's so that's what's so fantastic about this version of the song, is it starts. I mean, immediate. It it is immediately unlike anything coming out of Nashville. Oh, it must Imme- have turned heads immediately. Yeah. Um, I think I think that's Waylon doing that finger picking yeah. guitar oh, part. And that's then, something we didn't mention. Is this guy can play the guitar? A, this is not. Find a guitar this player. is not an. He has a very unusual guitar player a, like a, George Strait. I mean, this guy—he's a very unusual guitar player. And if you too. watch, if you watch any live footage of him, you'll be kind of blown away. You mm-hmm. will come away saying the same thing that I say every time I see him plays. Damn, I didn't realize Waylon was that good of a guitarist. Yeah. Well, and it's—it's it's funny, just real rapid, busy yeah. little pops yeah. right in the middle yeah. of a song, and uh, yeah, he's, he plays with the pick and his fingers at the same yeah. time, and. 
I yeah. know sometimes he just has his thumb out there looking like uh, Johnny Cash does, but um, uh, he's got some licks. But yeah, yeah it's 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 it, like I said, it starts off unlike anything out of Nashville, and then it kicks into gear after the first uh, yeah. first verse chorus is gone. Oh, and yeah. you get that kind of that real thumping bass. Oh, yeah, you know? and I could yeah. listen. I could listen to the him sing this song over and over again for mm-hmm. hours and hours without getting tired of it. And uh of course the harmonica comes in pretty strong too. It does. Yeah. Can you can I also say the 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 charming aspect and, and I'll try not to beat this dead horse throughout this, but the charming aspect of the lyrics are the way it's like Billy Joe Shaver talking to you. Oh yeah, I mean, oh, it's yeah. them neon lights. I mean it's yeah. just as you know, it's like uh, I don't know. It's it, it, when you hear interviews with him, you can well, see this and, guy, is, and he's just talking. Like, yeah. Why does that fool always got to be me? Why? Yeah, why does that's the thing that's so great. One Saturday this. night. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the. It, it, when I hear this song, I think about those guys. That how much fun you were as a. Well, I'm not trying to be autobiographical, but <laughs> how much fun you were when you were drinking, and how much you know people enjoyed being around you, and then. You know, you're getting older, and all of a sudden, you're still there, but all your friends are just yeah. like looking at you, like, going, "Why? Yeah, you know, now <laughs> why, I'm the fool. Why is it always turning? Why out does it to always be me? have to turn out to yeah. be me? Yeah. Um, don't get, don't give away too much, Jay. <laughs> but uh, yeah. no, it's it's uh, yeah, it's, it's just great. It, it is, is great. Anybody that doesn't know what he's talking about, um, is probably not listening to this podcast anyway. <laughs> well, and you know, I, I. I Every time and I listen to this album a ton over the last couple of weeks, but every yeah. time the dance holes in my shoes line came up, I yeah. just smile. Me it's too. such it's such a great visual. I, I yeah. can't help but think of that front part of Green Hall. Yeah. With some Yahoo just having a fan it's <laughs> probably about four thirty in the afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. He's already lit and yeah. having He's a great beat, time. Yeah, hitting his beat his his and boots on the that Wooden all floor. his buddies are trying to figure out who's going to have to drag him yep, home. Yep. <laughs> yeah, this is just it's 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 a great one. This song. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on to song number two. Old five or di- old five and dimers like me. Good luck and fast bucks are too far and too few between. Cadillac buyers and old five and dimers like me. Well, it's the same guy. It's the same guy, yes. This time he's sober. It's probably early in the morning and he's in contemplation mode. And uh, uh, it has has an important message. It's Uh like he's measuring himself. Like he's thinking back to the idea that he used to have of himself, yep. like, and he's measuring himself against that. Uh, and 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 you just know from what little we all know, because we didn't know Billy Joe Shaver personally, but you just know from what his history was that that guy had several moments where he was sitting someplace and just thinking about things and the way he thinks about things in the song. How, you how to measure yourself? Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I love the line. Um. All I do or say is all I will ever be, which is spot on. I, I don't know how you say more in a few words yeah. than so, that. I, I, uh, you're going to kill me for saying this, Doug, but um, I don't think this is the best vocal performance on this album from Waylon. I like this song a lot, but I just feel like, um, I don't know. 
There's something lacking in it. I don't think there's a well. I I don't think it requires very much from the singer. Yeah. Um, I, I well, and maybe maybe this is my own bias towards liking his more upbeat stuff. So this stuff just always I like it, but it doesn't grab me the same way as something that has that that I I in my own personal yeah. There's nothing well. about his performance of this song that but I mean I think the song doesn't need yeah. It, Billy Joe Schaefer can sing it just as well as Waylon. I think he sings it better personally, but yeah, you, know. well, you get the. Well, I can't imagine like Waylon's voice may be too big. For I think this. that's maybe that's the point. Yeah, it's maybe not. A, it's it, yeah, this it, is it, this is a sitting in the back of a yeah. pickup by the barn. Playing this song while this you is look almost, at the moon, and and Waylon's voice is too big and uh, yeah, too much of a show voice for a song. This is like a this. talking to yourself kind yeah. of. It is. That's, I think you've actually hit the nail on the head with the what my issue and dimer is. is. All I'm yeah, all I'm ever meant to be. It's it's a song about humility yeah. and uh, yeah. accepting your place in the world. And Waylon doesn't have that kind of voice. This is the song. This is the song. <laughs> He's got Tarzan going, oh, yeah. oh this is the song that Billy Joe has said he he um he would strive for every song he wrote to be this song. This yeah. was the one yeah. he well, held he up. He knocked it out of the park. This is point. one that uh people would put on their tombstone. Yeah. 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 Yep. All right. So moving on to number three, Willie the Wandering Gypsy and Me. Willie This is a song that had Waylon burst out of the back of the trailer, jumping up and down. I, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I don't blame him. This is this is a song that will keep you uh, only a, a five and down. You know, this by living this epic. Yeah. I mean, basically, the song's about freedom. Wandering is freedom, um, but. I couldn't. I, the thing I was wondering at t- towards the end of it is he looking at Willie as a guy that he would like to be hanging around with, or is he some guy that he's actually attached himself to, and he's done, you know, left a pregnant wife behind. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't get the. I don't get. The, maybe I'm wrong about this. I don't get the. Uh, the narrator is real happy with his wife being tight with an overdue ba- baby, and his yeah. guys yelling at him. Come on, we gotta go. We gotta right. go. You know. Right. Well, I. I always think of he's got which, by the way, tight with a baby, overdue baby, fantastic. fantastic. <laughs> the, the whole song's filled with uh, very cool ways to say things. Yes, I yeah. mean he, he never says something pedestrian. Um, I I hear it is like he's got this wild streak in him, and it only needs a catalyst. And it's and Willie. here comes Willie. Willie. Boop. There goes the catalyst. Well, oh, I'm gone now. I'm chasing like, Buffalo. And we all it reminds know me of that scene in Lonesome Sal- Dove where Gus says, I'm going to chase Buffalo one more time before I die. <laughs> and he goes over the hill it chasing the Buffalo, and here yeah. come the Indians. Yeah. We've all known guys like that. Maybe at oh, some yeah. point in our lives we were guys like that where it just took a little bit of a nudge yep. to get us to go and from like. The next thing yeah. you know, you're. Yeah. It's like I was going to stay in tonight and watch TV and maybe go to bed early, and then you're now dancing on the table someplace. <laughs> I have yeah. friends that t- tell stories about stuff like that. I have no personal experience. <laughs> but. Um, I mean, it's like yeah. Sal Paradise and uh, Jack Cassidy and in uh, on the road. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, you, that, that's exactly right. That's the same kind of deal. Just uh, you got it in you, and then the other guy pulls it out pulls of it you. Out. But you the, have the, the commitments lines, you do. There's not a soul living that can put brand or handle on Willie the way <laughs> that songwriter. I mean, uh, yeah. Put yeah. brand and handle. He said he doesn't go. I'm free and nobody can control me. No, yeah. he goes. You can't put brand or handle on. Yeah. Or what was the other one? Ready rolled from the same makings as me. Uh-huh. I mean, that's get out of here. And and yeah. all you people listening to sexy tractor songs that think you're listening to country music, you don't know. <laughs> well, this is your Shakespeare. Put that other stuff down yeah. and dig in. Yeah. Let's let's uh, give Billy Joe his his props. The guy was a poet. He was. Um, and uh, it, it, I don't. It's it's like poetry that just happens because that's who he is. Yeah, it, yeah. It's not. It's I know he talked. worked hard on these songs. He no, he did. That. He did. But, but uh, Kinky Friedman has said that you know the thing about Billy Joe is he, he you get what you get what you get with him. He is who he is. And when he and he not that again not that he worked hard on this stuff, but there's an honesty to these songs oh, that is comes from living the way he did. Um, but. But the way he's able to describe that stuff adds so much more depth to the, what the experience and is, you know? Yeah. Just so clear. If I had come up with half the lines in this song, I would be I'd all this myself. Pod, if I wrote one of these songs, that's all we talk about in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's a, that's a good one. I, uh, this is, is this the first song that does that? Well, I've talked to you guys about this before we did this podcast that fades out in a weird way. It does fade out in a weird way because he's got he's he, I, and he goes, mm-hmm, but I think it kind of I think the fade kind of works I, I on think, this one. I think well, I think the reason it's so jarring to me is I don't want the song to end. So when it just kind of fades, I was like, mm. yeah, but it hums. It, it ends with a hum. There's another. There's some others where I think that it, it, it it's it, more drastic. It's more drastic. Yeah. I like the way that it it has the humming at the end, and that's how they they. Uh, I mean, that's how the song ends. All right. Going on to the next song, Low Down Freedom. Low Down Freedom, you done cost me everything I'll ever lose, love. You're as empty as my pockets from the top of where you start down to the bottom of my shoes. This is perfectly placed after the other. Yeah, I was gonna really say, sort is. of, sort really of is. the uh, again the guy so here's what happens <laughs> yeah guess what um <laughs> the chorus says it all low down freedom you done cost me yeah yeah um everything i'd ever lose what i like about it is there's there's an older definition of freedom and a newer definition of freedom and this i think unintentionally talks about that was the old definition of freedom was freedom from like right you yeah. are free from addiction you are free and this from is freedom compulsion. to this is freedom to yeah that's and, a good point uh, good point freedom to is what he's talking about you freedom to do all this stuff and guess what you end up alone drug addicted uh in 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 a mess yeah and it's it's weird that it's this so- song we have Willie the Wandering Gypsy is I mean, so, that a celebration of that. Be, yeah. That makes yeah. me want to get in a truck with a buddy yeah. and say, yeah. hey, let's go to Wyoming and yep. see and what happens. It's, yeah. it's a celebration of freedom, And then the too. next one is 
Look what I it did. I need to be free from the compulsion to go to Wyoming and act like an idiot. And yeah. I need to be free to be a, a man that takes I, care of his business. I want to yeah. talk real quick about the, uh, about the um, song structure here. Because I think it's pretty. I think it, it's uh, obviously intentional, but it's really great how it starts off very kind of mellow, and then as soon as that line, like Slow them down. big wheels, I'll be rolling, Slow it down. kicks into full gear, yeah. and it's got that kind and of chain chug it, chain chug yeah. or train chugging sort that, of that, uh, that, yeah. that basement on this oh, song. Yeah. yeah, it's not gonna let you go. And, and then you know, yeah. Ralph Mooney is fantastic on oh, the song. Oh God, yeah. Um, Tony, this is one of the songs where I think it does. It's it, the shortness of it bothers me. This is another I, fade out song. Yeah, another yeah. fade out song, and it's a fade out song where he's singing at, as, as he's fading, as he's fading, yeah. and I'm like, okay, tell me, whoa, 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 what, yeah. what else is happening? Tell me. Yeah, about no, I, I agree. It's song. only it's only, it's two. It's under two and a half minutes long. Yeah, all these are very short songs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole album's twenty seven minutes. I uh, I didn't I didn't do the math. That's something else. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a great song. This one, uh, you know, going back to what I said about um, about the um, old five and dimers, yeah. this is this is what I this is what I want. My personal opinion, what I want Waylon to sing. This is well, the kind of stuff I want him yeah. to do. Yeah, and I'm yeah. about to say that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, moving on to number five, another song about regret, Omaha. Oh. Listen to this song once today. Uh huh. That's the first time. I cannot not repeat <laughs> Omaha. And if I hear it, everybody near me is going to hear me sing it for the rest of the day. Yeah. I am absolutely in love with this song. And yeah, I think Waylon Jennings was born and given the voice he has. To sing this to song. To sing Omaha? But, oh, yeah. it, he is just... Yeah. I don't... I can't imagine I anyone else singing yeah, it. I, no, I can't either. It's it's some, it's, it's, it's and another... I played it with other bands, people trying to sing it. And just and, doesn't, I, I mean, it'd be fine to sing it if nobody heard Waylon do it. I just can't picture anybody there's, on earth who can yeah, sing that well. No, I, I, that's a valid point. Uh, there's, a, there's a number of songs on this album that Waylon... Uh, I think Billy Joe Shaver even said um, that album killed those songs for me. No one else could do them because yeah. why would you? <laughs> yeah, you know. No. But we'll get into this later. But I don't think anybody's done his songs as well as as Waylon had, like Lump of Coal, Old Lump of Coal, and uh, like, no. I mean, everybody so, does. Everybody in the world does. I'm gonna live forever. Yeah, and uh, that's a different kind of song. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, this is another, like I said, another song about regret. This is a guy who wanted, he was felt stifled by Omaha, yeah, wanted they, to see the boom. big bow world, goes out to California, gets his ass thrown know, in jail. But I mean, we know very <laughs> good. He got some school and paid for yeah, by the law. law. That's a great line. <laughs> Such yeah. a great line. Um, we all know people like this that somehow think, well, if I just get out of here, yeah. everything is going to be so, I mean, there's. You know, why the hell do you go to grad school? I mean, but there's so many people that we've heard this story before, but this is just like the an encapsulation of like. Well, 
I, I don't know how contemplative this guy is as much as no. he's like, oh, crap, I'm in jail. Boy, why did I make a big mistake? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder if Billy Joe had been to Omaha by the time he wrote this song. <laughs> I've I never saw, been to Omaha. I saw a weird article today that was about um, songs, like the top 10 Nebraska songs, related songs, and this was number one. Uh, yeah. Was it? Wait, yeah. I know it's, uh, what, the Captain Crows had an Omaha song. They did. Um, Springsteen. Anyway, I just think it's funny that this and this was the number one song. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, but it's it's such a a a lesson. It's like uh, you know, wherever you go, you're still going to have to pay rent. You're still going to have to pay taxes. You're you're still still going to make stupid mistakes and maybe end up in jail. Yeah, you're still going to be doing the same Um, stupid stuff. Doesn't matter where you are. Our uh, our audience, because this isn't televised, our audience cannot see me struggling not to go put this song on right now. (laughs) Well, and then uh, uh, again, uh, the next song will probably be the last time I mention him, just because I don't again want to beat a dead horse. But Ralph Mooney is fantastic on the song. (laughs) He's fantastic, and the song, as much as the song isn't isn't the song without Waylon singing it. It's not the song without Ralph Mooney stealing on it either. I love the opening. Yeah. yeah, with the with the drums and uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, okay, it's just go listen song. to it. Let's go. Cool. Yeah. All right. All right. Go do it right now. So we're about to flip the record over. Go to side two. Let the world call me a fool. But if things are right with me and that's all that matters and I'll do Anything you ask me to You asked me to? And what do we get when we get first song on side two? We're supposed to get a hit. I think we got a we hit. Got a we hit. got a little hit here. We did here. get a hit on this one. Spent 15 and, and weeks on the Billboard Country single chart. 14 uh, or something like that? Eight. Eight? Eight. Okay. It's another one. If I hear it, I'm going to be singing it for the rest of the day. This is probably my favorite song on the album. Yeah. Um, It's a close one for me. I want to say, I I think this is remarkable to me. Again, last time I'm going to talk about Ralph Mooney, he also plays the dobro on the song. That mi- and he's uncredited, oh, yeah. I think. But that middle oh, really? bit, I, I think so. Well, you got well, the album else? over there. You yeah, can nobody see. else is credited you got, on Dobro. You got, uh, you got him p- basically dueling with himself over this song, yep. playing Steel and Dobro, yeah. and, and it's that's incredible. A, that's a yeah. cool... Yeah. And uh, uh, Waylon gets uh, writing credit on this one. He yeah. does. Yeah, this is a great song. It's tough I mean, for this it, to not me, to it's be just my like, favorite. I don't, it's not my favorite, but it's close. It is. the. It's a great love song. It is like... These are I will I love you so much that even if you tell me to go away, I will go away. And okay. then I love that little line that he puts in. I don't know if that was his or Billy Joe. I hope you never do. Lord, I hope you don't. <laughs> hope you never I think do. Maybe that's yeah. why Waylon got writing credit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> Bill, Billy Joe complains a lot about how uh, people will add a word to his song and then get right get like co-writing yeah. credit for yeah, it. We used so, to have us yeah. say, uh, "Write a word, get a third is what. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, uh, is is this the one that Elvis covered? Yeah, it is. So that's um, pretty cool if you can get the King to cover your tunes. Yeah, it is. I bet it. Uh, uh, yeah, it's on his pro- uh, album Promised Land. I bet you it's not as good as this. Uh, I have no doubt. But it's just the when way he that... says, "Let the world call me a fool." When yeah. Waylon does that, this is that. This is that song where, when you were talking earlier about what your idea of country music was at the time. This is one of those songs that this is what country music was at the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, 
you heard this song and you're like, this is, yeah, this is what it's supposed to sound like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, I, I guess all that, that preceded it to me it, when I was a teenager, I, I, I thought, oh, that would, that's like easy listening music. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, Jim Rees and those yeah. guys with yeah. all the orchestra. Mm-hmm. I didn't think of that as country music at all. And then where we grew up at that, at the camp, that, yeah. Nobody played that. They only played these these songs. Jerry yeah. Walker, of course. Hey, ride me down easy, Lord. Ride me on down. Leave word in the dust where I lay. Say I'm easy come, easy go, and easy love when I stay. All righty. Ride so, me down easy. Moving on to song number two, Ride Me Down Easy. Boy, is this a fantastic song. <laughs> Another Okay, so I think this is the most obscure lyrics on the album, though. I'm, I, the only thing I can think, when I listen to it, the, the idea that I get is it's, it's about a guy who's restless but doesn't want to be. But it seems like we kind of hit that territory before. It is it is the most sort of obtuse song. It's the most poetic, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I think that I do think it's the most poetic, um, and that's what I mean when it's when it's obscure. It's just this is the one where I have the hardest time. Just kind of, I love the singing. I love the melody. It's probably my favorite melody on the on the album. But I can't. I yeah, I don't mind Waylon. I mean, this is a ballad, and Waylon sounds fantastic on this song. Yeah, he does. Um, it's a waltz, isn't it? Yep. That doesn't mean it's not a ballad. Well, I didn't mean to contradict you, Tony. I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't know you had the goat tied up there. Um, um, you know I, you know who... This re- is... This is um, I, I think this is a good song, but to me, it's the least interesting on the album. Which you know, I'm really surprised to hear what y'all are saying. It's uh, it was recorded by uh, Bobby Bear. Speaking of Bobby Bear, before that makes perfect sense. He it recorded this like and he either. recorded this before this album in huh. the same year and had a number eleven hit with it. I did not know. I that. think the Jordan Air sing with him on it though. I, I I think that sounds like a Bobby Bear song. Yeah, yeah. Number three on side two. This is my favorite song. Ain't no God in Mexico. Ain't no God in Mexico, ain't no way to understand How that border crossing feeling makes a fool out of a man If I'd never felt the sunshine, hell, I would not cuss the rain If my feet could fit a railroad track, I guess I'd have been a train This, even though I have no idea what this song is about, um... This is a fantastic I think, song. I think it's loose, this is me projecting i think it's loosely based on the fact that billy joe actually did some time in mexico he got in a, in a bar fight or something throwing bottles at something he got arrested well okay um <laughs> might be but i'm not sure many of the listeners to this podcast have any idea about what it's like i'm not talking about getting off a plane i'm talking about walking across the rio grande river and going into Mexico, and just the feeling that you get when you when you do that that border crossing the, feeling, the border crossing feeling oh, that, that way that he's it's just but, you get this sense of liberty that that you don't 
all of a sudden, yeah, you're not necessarily a bad person, but there is a well, much more uninhibited version I, of yourself. I, I don't know. I mean, if there ain't no God, it's a pretty amoral existence. <laughs> and I think he's, I think that's what he's hitting on because he, you know, he's in an interview, he talks about, it might actually be in that Mike Judge thing where he talks about going into, uh, is a boy's town or whatever that was across no the idea. border. I have no idea. Red, it was a red light, yeah, red light district. And, uh, and just how you go, you go over there, and it's like no holds barred, anything goes. Uh, anyway, uh, that's a real nice song, and then there's another one that comes right after. <laughs> there's yeah, I, so, uh, no. but real quick before we move on, I, I, don't, I don't mean this to sound weird, but this song and the one after it, "Black Rose," which they both kind of battle for my favorite song in the album, they sound the most. Billy Joe Shavery to me. Oh yeah, they do. They not do. not just lyrics, but just the way the, just tune, the, way. the the way they're structured sounds like a Billy Joe Shaver song. Um, so those it, two of these sound those two sound to me like he was drunk when he wrote them. I mean, it it, it well. <laughs> so if we're gonna move on, since you guys are uncomfortable talking about the Mexico, we have friends that um, yeah. would not appreciate. But Doug and I are in agreement that this has the like does not make any sense line in it which is what if my feet had fit a railroad i would have been a train something like if i hadn't been railroaded i would have been a train well he says it two times he does he says it differently and uh but it's got. Let me tell you something. The line before it is fantastic. Oh God. If, yeah. if it wasn't for the sunshine, yeah, I wouldn't curse the rain. Yep. That is a great, well, and, and great line about uh, <laughs> chasing what's your face across the yard. Yeah. So it's that I, you know, not to get too deep, but I was when I I was listening to the song with my daughter in the car, and uh, no, and I was telling her how much I love that line about it, about the rain. Uh, and I yeah. said, you know, it's like this idea of good and evil. If you don't know what good is, you have no concept of evil. You need both of them to understand the con- one concept or the other. Same thing here. Or you know, Towns, Towns line on that. What's that? There ain't no dark till something shines. There you go. There you go. And so this is a little bit like that. With, it is. You know, anyway. And okay. uh, what J.M. said about all these people from other parts of the country having no idea what this is about because they think Mexico is Cancun. Yeah. Uh, that's spot on. This song is not about Cancun. No. no. <laughs> All right. Moving and on to song. God knows what the border's like now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Moving on. To, well, God knows what Cancun is like now. Well, anyway. Uh, moving on to song. Like you guys. Song number four, <laughs> Black Rose. What the devil made me do it the first time. Second time I've done it on my own Lord put a handle on the simple-headed man And help me leave that black rose alone Another fantastic song. Easily this my probably my second. This used to be my favorite song, but this is probably my second favorite. Well, it is my second so, favorite song. And the, the lines, very clever lines just roll off the, his tongue. The devil like, made me do it. The, the devil made me do it the, the first, first time. time second time, time I, I did, did it on my own. own. So you guys know what the song's based on, right? I don't know what it's based on, but I think I know what it's about. Well, probably. So uh, the Rolling Stone magazine thought it was about heroin, and Billy Joe's like, heroin? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, it's about, I never it goes, it's about a relation I had with an African-American woman yeah. when I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Well, that's I didn't guess heroin either. Well, I didn't guess. I, I guessed that, actually, but I didn't know that was an actual story. You guys, no. You I know, thought it was about words. Captain Kurt and Lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I won't. I won't get into the whole detail. You can get online and read the details about his liaison. But uh, yeah, it's it's not the most uh, politically correct song, but it is a fantastic. Devil, uh, Lord put a handle on a simple-headed man. man. I mean, I yeah. can't tell you. Um, I know it came from this song, but that's worked its way into my <laughs> prayer life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lord put a handle, handle on, on a simple-headed simple man. man. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's you not can't just, relate to that. Yeah, uh, you, you don't understand. Oh my god, on this side I of can't. The record. W- yeah, yeah. And this side of the this side of the record is pretty. Pretty fantastic. I it mean, is. it's like one amazing song after. I mean, the the whole album is great. This sound, this that song seems to me like it was the song that uh, when Billy Joe Shaver was play, would play it, someone would go, "Oh my god, <laughs> I, I got we got to do something with that." Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's 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 such a great song. And I know I know you said it's not PC, and I guess I guess it's not. Um, you know, everything's not PC. I mean, it didn't matter if it's between What you have to do is just talk about what might be PC. Yeah. Anyway, um, okay, moving on to the last song, which uh, we had it all. Remember how I used to touch your hand While reaching for a feeling That was always there This is not a Billy Joe Schaefer song, and it it should have been. It shows. Yep. (laughs) Well, it it does have uh, some interesting people who wrote it. Troy Seals and Donnie Fritz. Donnie Fritz is Christopherson's keyboardist, right? Funky Donnie Fritz. Yeah. I mean, what? What is that? Beat the Devil that he sings that, or is that? Uh, well, I like to dedicate this song to Christopher to Johnny Cash. So, do are we in agreement that this is the weakest song on the album, or not? Yes. Um, I it used it used to be my least favorite, and uh, I, I don't I don't feel that way anymore. It is my well, least favorite, but I don't dislike it as much as I used to. What, what's surpassed it as your least favorite song on the album, Doug? I'm curious. Well, I didn't do that. I just said I don't want, I don't dislike it, this it's, song. It has strings. It sounds... It sounds... It's, it does, it's a it, sore it thumb. It sticks out like a sore thumb. It sounds it. exactly like what the rest of the album is trying not to sound like. That's yeah, right. that's exactly right. And uh, sound like old school but 1963, I, I, I you, 65, um, Waylon. You know, I'm, I'm in love with my wife, so maybe that changes. <laughs> The way I see it. Well, and then you know we're we're in the minority because this song has been covered by everybody and God. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Willie Nelson, Dolly Parton, Bob Dylan, Rod Stewart, Ray Charles, the well, Rolling I Stones. Rod, I think if Rod, if I heard Rod Stewart sing it, I don't wouldn't like it anymore. <laughs> it's not right for him. It's no. what he shouldn't be doing. Well, the Rod, the Rolling Stones version of it is. Um, what album is it on? It's I, I don't know. It's an outtake or something. I'm, and I yeah. and I and I want to say that it's not Mick singing lead. I can't remember who sings lead. Um, who else? My guy has to be uh, Keith. It must be Keith then. Sings Ugh. lead. Oh, Ugh. Well, you know this, this uh, Troy Seals is from the famous Seals family. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Who, who's in the famous Seals family? Seals and Croft. Jim Seals of Seals and Croft. Dan Seals of England. Dan and, and John Ford Coley. Coley. Yeah. They're from Texas, too, aren't uh, they? Brady Seals of Little Texas and Hot yeah. Apple Pie. Anyway, he's in the uh, Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. I don't, I, I don't know. This, this song is not about... Th- this album is not about this song. It, it doesn't fit on it doesn't the song so, at all. But I don't, I don't dislike it the way I used to. I, um, I don't typically listen to it. I end the album on. I used to. I mean, I used um, to. I, I, I remember that I would just uh, hit pause and eject. You know, the strings are are, are nice. And they're not too overwrought, but they are too. Overwrought. They are too. Overwrought, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I, I'll tell you one of the things that I like about this song is the fact that Waylon Jennings is singing it with his big giant voice. Yeah. Um, I. So. When I'd be in the kitchen, I did a lot of cooking uh, for Thanksgiving today, and I was listening to this on my... You're saying that your wife never does anything around the house? Um, she was at work, earning a living. Um, I work for the state, so I was off today. Anyway, uh, I was listening to this on my Alexa, and uh, this song comes on, and uh, I want to hear the album again, because we're talking about it. I say, uh, can you repeat? And it would go... It would not repeat the full album. It would repeat the song again, and it drove me crazy. I got in this weird loop where this yeah. song kept taunting me. I yeah, I don't like this song at all. I don't. I, it's 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 easily my least favorite, and I wish it wasn't on the album. How, how long have you been married? Twenty five years. I guess it's because I'm still at the beginning of my marriage that I still like music like this. Anyway. Um, what syrupy bad. <laughs> horrible this is not the way to end this album guys I'll agree you know with that. You I'm, that. I'm not going to disagree this, this sounds like a it with, uh, Black Rose Black Rose. I would have ended it with uh, Old Five and Dimers well even that yeah. would have been better than this yeah, if you're going to end it on a down a note 24 minute album or we'll just stick I'm, I'm going to live Billy... forever with yeah it could have been one side if he had written I'm going to live forever that would have been perfect yeah Anyway, I, I just think I, I, it's 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 a, something I, I I have trouble with when an album is as good as this that ends this. Yeah, sort of, it ends with, wah, wah. The, with a song that uh, it's it sounds it sounds <laughs> like a greatest hits album that pulls this thing yeah. in from some yeah. other era. Yeah. Guys, I would like to uh, before we get into our our um, ratings on this, I want to give Billy Joe the last word on the whole outlaw thing if that's okay with that's you that's all right with me or what he used to call it outcast country which i think is an even better name mm-hmm. for it. yeah so billy joe says we were a different bunch of people from texas and we didn't dress up in white ties and things like that just jeans and it was different but when we hit everybody went our direction and the foundation got laid that was kind of outcast but became a cornerstone of the whole mess i say mess but the whole situation in Nashville, they were thankful after a while. They realized that it really helped more than it hurt. And a lot of things have been done on top of that now, and it's still rolling. I think that's a great thing. It gave Nashville new life. Yeah. I mean, we just talked about the first platinum album that came out of this movement. And that that happened because Nashville, uh, well, country music was able to grab all these yeah. long-haired kids that were buying records. And... Uh, it worked, and it kept working for a long time. I think Nashville went right back into the same. Yeah, thing. Did, it's, it's, thank you, Garth. <laughs> it's got a. Well, it's got a Alabama. New, you got yeah. It's I mean, got a, 
I don't even know who's popular, but where I was someplace today where they were playing that stuff, and um, you can predict everything yeah, about yeah. the music they're playing. Yeah. And uh, yeah. anyway, it's uh, it's going to have to happen again, I guess. And Waylon's gone. One of the things about being from Texas is uh, you're arrogant. And um, one of the things that makes you arrogant is you get to say, Waylon Jennings is from Texas. Well, but. Yeah. But they didn't bury him they here. Put it's Arizona, horrible. right? It's just, it's heartbreaking for me. Well, he spent a lot of time in Arizona. He was huge in Arizona before he was huge anywhere else. Yeah. I, I know. He, he. How many times did you guys, or did you ever see Waylon? I never saw Waylon. I I never saw Waylon by himself. I saw him with Willie, and I saw him at the uh, Willie Nelson's picnic. When you say you saw him with Willie, what do you mean? He was playing with Willie? Yeah, it was like a, like a Willie with a bunch of other people. I, I didn't get to see a so, whole Waylon show. I don't, think, I don't think I've talked about this, or maybe I did when we talked about before, when we talked about Willie, but when I lived in D.C., I was... I'd been there for about three months and I was homesick as I'll get out. And some friends of ours that lived up there bought Lindsay and I with four of us went to this big outdoor place, Wolf Trap, which is kind of like, you know, the place that was down in Selma in San Antonio. It was a big oh, campus yeah. theater and it was Waylon opening for Willie. Wow. And I, I will free, I will freely admit this on this podcast. I teared up watching that. I was so homesick for Texas. Yeah. It's and usually JM's in charge. I know. Of the <laughs> but the, uh, when the Waylon was great, but in particular, when Whiskey River kicked on and that Texas flag dropped down behind the stage, yeah, uh, I lost amazing. it. I was like, oh, <laughs> but I, I did, I did get to see, see him, that. man, which was kind of a, a big deal. So this is the part in the podcast when we give our re our reviews, our, uh, our, scores or whatever i'm gonna go to doug first since this is your pick jam you will be last all right so we do two as always cold-hearted critic and then our will we listen to it all right um i'm gonna do the non-cold-hearted critic the the tender boy who grew up listening to this in austin texas back when it was part of texas and um i'll give it a five i it's absolutely impossible to suggest that a year would go by without me listening to this album. Um, this is my favorite country music album of all time. His voice is my favorite voice of all time. And uh, it's, that's all I got. Uh, as, a, as a critic, I think I'd give it a 4.8. Um, I shave off a couple of points for a couple of small things that were not execu executed as well as they should have been. But um, anyway, four eights high. Okay. Thank you, Doug. I guess I will go next. Um, uh, so I'll do critic first. I, um, yeah, I mean, this is, it, it's hard not to it's hard not to think about everything we know about this album and throw that out. This was a landmark album, regardless of what I was saying about my nitpick about the movement. Uh, this was a landmark album, uh, much in the same way that Redhead's a stranger was in terms of just showing, shaking up country music for the better. All three of us love, love country. I would think 
and uh, and we appreciate the fact that this was a re- kind of a return to a very traditional, and I don't mean traditional like traditional country, but just what countries, the, the emotions that country are about, stripping it of all the gloss. So, um, again, it's hard for me not to not to think about what a landmark album this is when I'm thinking about a critic. So I'm going to give, critics-wise, I'm going to give it a four or five. For me, I'm giving it a four. Um, I love this album. I will listen to it, you know, fairly often, but there are just some things about it that, um, that rub me the wrong way. That last song, I mean, you take that last song off and you're dealing with a 23-minute album, so there's that. Um, I do wish, sometimes I wish the steel was up in the mix a little bit more. I didn't talk about that much, but there's a couple of songs where it seems a little buried. Um, and again, there's a couple of songs where I think Waylon's voice just as, and I'm glad you said it, Doug, cause it actually made me realize what it was about. It's just, it's almost too big for what the songs are. So that being said, I give it a four again. I, I think a lot of times we sit here and we think four, but four is a pretty, that's a yeah. pretty damn good rating for yeah. an album. So anyway, all right, jam. All right, so I'm going to go Cold Hard Critic first. Um, Five. It's, like you said, Tony, it's it's a landmark album. I can't imagine looking at a record guide where it gives it like four and a half stars. There there, there is no better country album made, in my opinion, than this one. Uh, It, 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 the only one that rivals it is uh, Redheaded Stranger. I um, and I think that one, you know, th- those two together are just the pinnacle. Those, those are the two best albums I think in country music. On a personal note, um, I'm going to give it a four. I do this a lot. I'm going to give it a four eight, and it's only because there's two things in it that I think are that just stand out to me where I, I don't want to listen to the rest of it. And the, the, the one is we just talked about, uh, we had it all and just that does not seem to me, it, it just takes me out of the rest of the album. Um, and then I don't like the, what I think is almost a flawless song. Ain't no God in Mexico. When it has the, uh, the line about the, if my feet had fit a railroad track, I would have been a train he touches on all the ideas of freedom. Uh, Billy Joe does that low down freedom. Yeah. Just low. Like, yeah, you want this and you see guys that are living this way that you want to live. And then you actually get into that and you find out that it's not, not all that it's cracked up to be. And it's a very personal album for me, I guess is the way to put it. Um, because I, but I think it is just, except for there's no God in Mexico. <laughs> you have zero, yeah, I got rec- zero rec- zero identification with that. You know, I normally don't do country albums on our on our podcast, but this to me is just like the quintessential country album. So, all righty, well, thanks, guys. Um, appreciate it. I think this was a good one. Uh, again, I think at some point, if Jam hadn't picked it, Doug would have picked it, or I would have picked it. It's uh, it's definitely worth talking about. And if there's not, any, if there's people out here, it's would surprise me people who actually dial us up who aren't familiar with this mm-hmm. you need to be well i i hope that that's my big hope is that we could introduce people to a uh, record they haven't heard before yeah, yeah. that they'll fall in love with that let one us of know. the greatest one of the greatest gifts ever given to me is, is someone tell me listen to this you'll love it yeah 
I feel the same way. And and we've done that to each other a little bit, or for each other a little bit on this right. Um, Okay, well, this is now the point where we do a review. Or a recommendation. I'm sorry, a recommendation. So I'll ask for you, Tony. Yes. Tony? Yes. Do you have a recommendation? I do, JM. I have a recommendation. I knew it. I knew he did. Um... So, it's funny I haven't talked about this band before, and uh, early on when we were doing the podcast, I touched on a lot of stuff that was fairly localized, local, awesome. So tonight I'd like to recommend an album that came out in 2017 by a band called Two Tons of Steel, called Gone. Um, I don't know if either one of you guys are familiar with Two Tons of Steel. They're a San Antonio band. They've been around for about 25 years. Uh, They're labeled, they're classified as a rockabilly band, but they're so much more than a rockabilly band. They're they're great. I I got into them fairly late, um, going to see them in Green Hall over the summer. They did this thing called Two Tons Tuesdays on Summertime in Green Hall, where uh, where they play on Tuesday nights, and you go, and it's packed, and they're just out of control. Anyway, this album's called Gone. Um... And it's it's just classic two tons. Uh, the first track should have known better. I wonder where you've been. What the oh, 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 oh. is vintage two tons of steel. Uh, there's a great song called Count, Count on Me. I'll Let You Down, which is this great little raucous honky-tonk gem. And the whole thing's a blast. The, the way I feel about this this album or this band is if you can't, if you listen to this and you don't have a smile on your face when you listen to it, you're missing the fun gene. The fun gene is not yeah. in your body, and you just might as well not listen to music. But anyway, uh, highly recommended. Really good. I'm surprised I haven't talked about them before, but uh, I guess listening to Waylon or something made me think about them. And, yeah. So, yeah. Well, he had a rockabilly band back in the day. Yep. Yeah. All right, Tony, thank you very much. So that's our look at Honky Tonk Heroes by Waylon Jennings. Let us know what you think of the album on our website. Uh, let us know if we introduced you to this album or a previous album. Our website is tappingvinyl.com. You'll find all sorts of good stuff up there uh, related to the albums we've looked at before in past episodes you can also reach us via twitter at tapping vinyl and you can visit our facebook group next week we'll be looking at an album by a scottish band from the 80s big country their album the crossing Doug Cooper, our co-host Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. And this is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. And reminding you, the devil made you do it the first time. <laughs>